0: You're listening to the TV Sports Radio Show.
1: Radio Show. I am Dylan Jesperson. With me, as always, is my man, Dylan Holtz. We are the Dylan and Dylan duo. Dylan, how are you doing today?
0: Doing fantastic. Excited to be back for another Friday uh, to talk some sports. I'm really excited. How are you?
1: Doing great. Doing great. Feeling excited as well, not only for the show, but uh, tonight I'm going to be returning to the sports world as a spectator. I've done a couple things as a reporter here at TV Sports, but Got tickets to a Tigers game tonight, and I'm excited. It's the first time I've been back to a sporting event since the pandemic. Recently vaccinated, so I'm excited to actually get out and uh, see the Tigers, uh, even though they're not uh, the best team. Actually, the worst team in the MLB <laughs> right now, but just excited to be back in action tonight uh but i'm also excited for the show we've got a lot of great topics before we start let me get a quick rundown of the topics and a reminder to follow us on spotify so you never miss an episode today we're going to get into the frequency of no hitters in the mlb uh this season three no hitters already we're going to give our thoughts on the or the nba playing tournament as well as some uh rookie of the year talk and of course we're going to get into our this week in sports segment with a special guest whenever he joins us later in the show but first Second week in a row that our docket got changed basically the night before with some breaking news. But, of course, we can't ignore this with uh, Dylan being a Cardinals fan uh, and the history of this player. And we're just going to do the same format as we did last week. So, Dylan, give me your instant reaction when you heard the news that the Angels were letting go of Albert Pujols.
0: I was shocked. Um, Pujols, as a Cardinals fan, Pujols uh, just was – on another level in my childhood he was my favorite player growing up i mean he's the best player in baseball for so long in my eyes um he's a guy that i thought was untouchable and i just remember after he led us to a second world series his the second time he led us to a world series our 11th in 2011 and he left st louis i was heartbroken he went to the the angels out to anaheim and i just remember it was uh it was around the same time LeBron left Cleveland to go to Miami. I remember how different it was when Pujols left. Uh, cause the LeBron stuff, people were upset with LeBron. Pujols, everybody was like, yeah, he's going to go. He got, got paid. He's going to Anaheim. We wish him the best. And I, I really loved that cause it just shows how, how respected Pujols was within the Cardinals community. Um, his time in Anaheim didn't go quite as pa- planned. Uh and it, it's it just really it's sad to see uh, him get released and uh, going to free agency at 41. Um, I'm really rooting for and I saw it last night. Yadi Yadi Molina posted on Instagram uh, a picture of him and Albert uh, holding their jerseys up. Albert holding his Angels jersey up. Yadi holding up his number four. Cardinals jersey they just put reunion question mark on Instagram and I would absolutely love for them to bring back Pujols the Cardinals were looking like a contender whether whatever role it might be just to have Albert back in St. Louis for one one last dance would be incredible I mean the guy's done it all he's a no doubt hall of famer he was a 300 career uh batting average guy until this year Uh, a couple uh hit list performances uh dropped him down to 298 for his career which is still phenomenal. Uh, I mean, he's fifth all time in home runs with 667 top 15 in batting average and top 25 in win re- replacement. I mean, the guy's a no doubt hall of famer. And I just, it, it kind of came out of nowhere for me, I guess, because I don't really keep up with the angels. Just, I'm not checking what the angels are up to every day, but I should have with Pujols being there, but it's just kind of been the angels. You got Mike Trout and you expect to hear Mike Trout news. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's sad to see uh, him kind of just get designated and cut just kind of unceremoniously out of nowhere. Um, it, was, it was just very, very shocking. Uh, what were your initial reactions to it?
1: Yeah, definitely shocking. Uh, I think his time in, in an Angels uniform has definitely been muted uh, since his signing. It's just uh, that that team has just not been as exciting as uh, everyone thought it was going to be. Once they added Pujols and you had him and Trout next to each other, uh, that team never really developed into what they thought it was going to be. So, uh, yeah, I think news that you maybe – I don't think he really saw it coming because I did he did announce at the beginning of the year that this was going to be his last year so you kind of thought that the Angels would see out the final year of his of his deal and just let him retire and go into the night uh, as the legend that he is uh but that would be awesome to see him go back into a Cardinals uniform. He was uh, a big part of the six team that terrorized my Tigers in the in the World Series. So I know how good he was at his peak. That was uh, probably some of the best Albert Pujols back then, and he was he was hitting the hell out of the ball. Uh, my first reaction after just the initial shock of it was. Uh, Comparing him to a very similar guy in our organization in Detroit, which is Miguel Cabrera, uh, very similar in terms of just a h- historic hitter uh, on a lot of major leaderboards in terms of career numbers, but has fallen off majorly in the past few years. And, and part of that is due to injuries. It's sort of like Albert, but at some point, uh, you're paying the uh, you're when you're paying the guy so much money, you, you need some production out of him and Albert was hitting 198 obviously way under his career numbers Miggy's at 105 right now uh it's rough uh watching uh, as a fan of a team like that and obviously the Tigers are in a rebuild mode but as a as a fan of a team like that when you see a guy commanding so much of your payroll and then also producing at the bottom of your of your team Uh, I can understand, especially if the Angels are looking to compete and and try to make a run at the World Series this year to free up some of that, uh, just some of some of the leeway and some of the freedom to do things with your lineup, because when you're paying a guy that much money, it's it's impossible to not put him in the lineup when you have the opportunity. So I think from the Angels perspective, it kind of just gives them a bit more freedom, Uh, I hope that is my big hope is that Albert just goes and signs with the the Cardinals and they can make one last run just because I think that's, I, I always like it when, uh, legend guys like that and guys that were are known as one team are able to go back and finish their career, uh, with that team. So that, that would be interesting, but yeah, shocking news out of baseball. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see what happens next in the Albert Pujols saga. Uh, Definitely unexpected, but now we will watch and see what's uh, what's next for the 41-year-old slugger. As we turn our attention to the NBA now, we're getting down to the final stretch of the NBA regular season, and we have players coming out sort of not uh, happy with the new NBA play-in tournament system. If you guys haven't heard of what the system is, I'll give you a quick rundown. Because it's not, I don't think it's been reported on well enough. And it's not, uh, it's not straightforward. So the seven and eight seeds are going to play a playing game. Uh, winner gets the seven seed. This is in both conferences. And then the nine and 10 seeds are going to play a, a playing game as well. The winner of that game will play the loser of the seven and eight game. The winner of that game is the eight seed. And they will play the winner of the seven and eight game uh, in the first round of the tournament or in the first round of the NBA playoffs. It's a bit confusing. It gives the nine and ten seeds a chance to win two games and get into the playoffs while the seven and eight seeds only have to win one. Uh, Meanwhile, guys like LeBron James, Luka Doncic recently have come out and said they're not fans of the system. Uh, Dylan, just give me your thoughts of what what your thoughts of the system are and if you think it's a good idea or not.
0: So I absolutely loved uh, the playing game during the bubble last year because it came off the heels of where we were getting basketball for the first time in a while. We had basketball all day, every day, and then it all stopped. We had a day off, and they had the play-in game on a Saturday afternoon. It was Portland and Memphis, and those two teams put on an absolute show. I ended up watching that game a couple days ago. I was bored, didn't have anything to do. And I saw it suggested. I can't remember what platform I was on. It was probably ESPN Plus. And um, I turned it on, and I was just blown away just by the high level of basketball we got to see. And just how much how much was at stake in one game. It was almost it was a game seven pretty much because whoever won was advancing; loser went home. Um, in that game, we got we saw just crazy performances. John ja Morant, thirty five points, eight assists, four rebounds, and then Dame on the other side with thirty one and ten. Nurt kick went crazy in that game, scoring 22 points, grabbing 21 rebounds and getting six assists. Um, we had Mello scoring 21, CJ McCollum scoring 29. I mean, I just, I think um, that game excited a lot of people within the NBA. And they're like, we could, we could um, replicate that uh, every year and get three games out of it before the playoffs start. And I think it is a really, really good concept. Um, we're going to see how well it works out this year. I, um, this morning I was sketching out how it would work out. And as of today, if it, if the play in tournament was starting today, we would get Portland and golden state, which would be awesome. Those two would play to become the seven seed and get to play the Phoenix Suns in the first round. That would be awesome. I signed me up. I'll give me a ticket, please. And then we'd have Memphis and San Antonio as the nine ten in the West, which would also be awesome. They'd be fighting to face the loser of Portland Golden State and try to be the eighth seed in the West. Both those games incredible. And then in the East, you've got Miami and uh, 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 Charlotte, if I can speak. Uh, they would be facing off in that 7-8 matchup to try to face Brooklyn in the first round. And then you'd have Indiana and Washington as of right now trying to advance into that second play-in game against the loser of Miami and uh, Charlotte to face the one-seed Philadelphia 76ers. I think it creates really, really fun scenarios for the NBA because this year, especially, I mean, the Lakers are not far away from being in this play in format. So are the Boston Celtics. Those two teams are the most historic teams in the league. And they're right there being in this, these one game scenarios where they could lose and go home. And I think it's going to make a lot of really, really fun basketball. I'm personally really excited about it. I understand my players maybe wouldn't be because they're so used to, Oh, we're the eight seed. We're in, we've got at least four games. We could maybe get more out of it. And then now it's, it's getting to the, you got one game or you're gone. Uh, You got to show up. Uh, I think it, it definitely, from a fan's perspective, it's definitely better for us. I think I could fully understand why players might not be as excited. Um, What do you think?
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think when you when you talk about the guys like LeBron and Luca, who are you know falling near that eight, nine, ten, seven, eight, nine, ten range, uh, it makes sense to kind of come out against it, especially a guy like LeBron, who at this point he's more focused on his legacy more than anything, and uh, uh, putting himself in a one or two loss scenario when he's out. Uh, when we look back on his career, it would probably end up just being, oh, he got knocked out of the playoffs and we won't remember the the play in tournament or the, you know, the weirdness of this year. So I understand it from that perspective, but I do have two points on why I like it. Uh, first, I really like what Adam Silver does as a commissioner of the NBA and just uh, being innovative with these types of things. We saw it in the bubble last year with the playing game. Uh, I think a a really good analogy is what he did with the all-star game, Uh, changing up the scoring system. And a lot of people thought this is weird. I'm not sure why we're doing this. And, and then you saw it in practice and it made for the most entertaining all-star game yet because people actually cared. And it was uh, very entertaining to see the effort from all-star level players like that. And uh, that's what I like about Adam Silver. He's not afraid to twist and uh, mess with things uh, in order to give the best product to the fans while also keeping the players happy. So I think this is just another iteration of Adam Silver doing that and putting the NBA in a better spot. And I really think, uh, for my my second point on this, I really think he drew inspiration from baseball in this regard because baseball is really the only professional sport that has these playing game Kind of built into their system. I remember before there was the wild card playing games. Uh, they used to, if there was a tie at the end of a at, at the top of a, a division, there would sometimes be just playing games. They wouldn't go to tiebreakers like wins or wins against or stuff like that. They would just play a 163rd game, and that happened with the Tigers and the Twins one time. And I remember just the intensity of that one game. You get into the playoffs, or you don't. Uh, it adds so much to a regular season game, which would just be just a normal game. It, it, it adds that playoff intensity, almost a championship intensity, to just a, a singular game, which I think is the goal of these playing games. Uh, and I like how it's formatted too. I like the fact that if you're a seven and eight seed, you really just have to win one game to get in, uh, and then the nine and ten seeds have the chance, but you gotta win two. You gotta beat uh, a nine or a ten seed, and then you gotta beat the eight the loser of the seven, eight game. So I think it's set up right. And I agree. I think the fans get the best product out of it. Uh, it's just, how are the players going to respond to it? And are, are the nine and 10 seeds really going to be giving their best effort knowing they have to win two games. And all that does is mean you got to turn around and play the one seed uh, in the playoffs. So I'm interested to see how all of that's going to play out. Uh, I do like the matchups that you were talking about, that Portland-Golden State matchup. Really, I I love the Damian Lillard and Steph Curry matchups as much as I, so uh, as a fan of the NBA, I'm really excited for that, Uh, but we'll we'll wait and see, you know, I think it's going to, I think it's going to turn out just like uh, other NBA's uh, experiments have.
0: You know, you brought up legacy uh, with LeBron. Um, I just thought of this. If, if the Lakers do fall into that 7-8 uh, range in the Western Conference, I feel like that's something that could go with LeBron's legacy, that narrative of, oh, well, we fell down into the play-in tournament because of injuries. Anthony Davis has been hurt. LeBron, of course, came back, and then he, he tweaked his ankle last week, so he's out again. Uh, we fell into that play-in tournament. We made our way through whether they – say they lose the first game, win the second, they scrape their way into the playoffs. They're that eight seed. You've got the Lakers as the eight seed. Utah is the one seed. And then I could see the Lakers being able to get past Utah. I I just – I feel like the Lakers are the best team in the West. I still do. I know they've had all these problems. It's just hard to go against LeBron and Anthony Davis. And just the legacy of LeBron taking a team from a play-in tournament to a Western Conference Finals or the NBA Finals would be something – it hasn't been done yet obviously because we're we've done the playing game last year and then the playing tournaments in year one right now i think it's going to add uh a lot of really cool narratives uh it's kind of like uh the first four in college basketball where we've seen these cool narratives over the years kind of like bcu that won your ucla this year uh it's i think it's going to create really cool narratives and just like we said it's gonna be a great great thing for fans to see
1: right i i agree uh my my thing with LeBron and why this play-in tournament, I think irks him a little bit more, is I would never bet against LeBron and a LeBron match with Anthony Davis in a seven-game series. I don't think there's any chance you beat a LeBron James team in a seven-game series. you've just We've just seen it so many times that he can wear you down and be so good. But I think there's an extra dynamic that when you can just lose two games – I've seen LeBron James lose two games. I mean, we saw him go down three, one to the Warriors, uh, in that finals. And obviously he, he was able to will them back, but I think there's a different dynamic there when it's like, okay. Especially with the injuries that they've had. So Anthony Davis is still just coming back. LeBron's just getting back under his feet under him. So if they're not a hundred percent rolling into that play in tournament, uh, and then they, they somehow find a way to, to drop two games, uh, I can't imagine how mad LeBron's going to be in that c- scenario because uh, you know, he would, I think in in a regular circumstance, he's the seven seed, he beats the two seed regardless of the injury problems that they've had. So I think that's where LeBron kind of gets, you know, he's looking forward and he's a smart guy and he sees, you know, all right, we, we better be a hundred percent by that time. But if we're not uh, this format really hurt us and you don't want to be hurting LeBron in the playoffs if you're the NBA so I, I like that, and we'll move on, continue with our NBA talk. We're going to switch over to the Rookie of the Year talk. Kind of, I don't want to say a decided conversation, but uh, Anthony Edwards has sort of uh, put himself in the, in the front runner spot, but as LaMelo Ball has come back from injury, he's made the conversation a little bit more interesting. Uh, Dylan, give me your thoughts on how the NBA rookies have shaped up this year.
0: So I think it's definitely – it's a two-man race. You just mentioned him, LaMelo Ball and Anthony Edwards. Um, before LaMelo went down with that injury a couple months ago, he was – it seemed like he was going to be the man to take home. There was going to be two point guards in a row. Jaw won it last year, LaMelo this year. Um, LaMelo's had a great year. He played 45 games, put up 15.5 points per game, six and, uh, about six assists per game. Shot almost fifty percent from the field, which is incredible because during the early part of the season they were kind of people were ragging on him that he wasn't maybe shooting the best, and here he is now shooting almost fifty percent from the field and then making almost forty percent from his from three. Um a lot of the concerns that people had with Lamelo just turned out they weren't true. Um he just is that good or it looks like he will be. Um I think one of the things, and I'll, I'll go ahead and talk about Anthony Edwards, but I think uh, one of the things that help, helps LaMelo in this race is his team is going to be probably in that play-in tournament. So it shows how much of a difference maker he is. Um, Anthony Edwards, on the other hand, though, played 66 games. So he's played most of the games, averaging almost 19 points per game, about five rebounds, about three assists. Um, the thing that. I was amazed by was the other night when he was playing against the Grizzlies scored 42 points at seven assists and made eight, three pointers. I was watching that game and it just seemed like, uh, I was watching the future of the NBA, seeing him and John Morant trade buckets. Uh, it was, it was incredible. And I think that was kind of that marquee moment that I was like, yep, yeah, Anthony Edwards is the rookie of the year. Uh, I think he kind of took it from Lamella. I wasn't completely sold before that I had been, been talking with people and I was like who do you think will win I think it's really interesting because like in years past it's kind of been by this point it's it's over and I was kind of still sold that even though LaMelo had missed a lot of time that he was going to be able to kind of run away with it but Anthony Edwards has shown he was the number one pick for a reason and he's kind of I think he kind of took it with that uh, incredible performance uh, Wednesday night against the Grizzlies um, a couple other rookies that they won't, They probably won't win the award, but they've had incredible seasons. Tyrese Halliburton out in Sacramento has been incredible, and I think he's kind of went under the radar because he's out in Sacramento. They haven't had the best year, but he is really, really good. And then I wanted to give Desmond Bain a shout-out. Uh, he was a late pick for the Grizzlies in the first round, and he's come in he's been exactly what they needed. He won't win rookie of the year. He should be on an all-rookie team, though, because he has been incredible, made a huge impact. Um, and it's exactly what the Grizzlies needed. So Halliburton and Bain have been awesome, awesome rookies, but there, there, there's another level and it's Anthony Edwards and LaMelo. And I think, I think Ant's got the, got the leverage right now.
1: Yeah, uh, definitely. I've, I've kept up with Tyrese Halliburton. The, The Pistons had the chance to take Halliburton. We went with Killian Hayes, another point guard and Halliburton's just torn it up this year while Hayes has spent most of the year with an injury. So, uh, just another NBA or another Detroit draft uh, going through the drain, basically. But I do want to shout out uh, in that second tier of rookies, uh, there is a Piston. Uh, uh, Sadiq Bey has had an amazing year. He was a Eastern Conference rookie of the month. I can't remember what month it was, but he's had an awesome year. He's averaging uh, 11.8 per game, 4.4 rebounds per game, and 1.3 assists per game. Uh, a great pickup at like the 15 spot for the Pistons. Uh, just I did want to shout him out if we're going down with those uh, those second tier guys. Also, Jay Sean Tate for the Houston Rockets has been uh, has been awesome for them. Uh, Ohio State guy that uh, scores and, and rebounds at a, a great rate for Houston. Not a great team, but – Definitely want to shout him out, but in terms of the of the rookie of the year race, it is that two person race, and I'm in basically total agreement with you. Uh, I thought Lamelo had it wrapped up early in the year until he went down with that fractured wrist. Uh, Anthony Edwards, I saw what he was able to do at Georgia. Uh, I watched the uh, a matchup between Michigan State and him where he put up a 30 plus points, and he was just unguardable. And I knew he was. A dynamic score and I just didn't know if he could be consistent enough at the NBA level to really back up that number one overall pick and both those guys at the beginning of the year didn't look like they were going to both LaMelo and Anthony Edwards started off very very slowly but as LaMelo picked up Anthony Edwards slowly picked up more and more. And what I think put Anthony Edwards over the top, obviously that performance against the Grizzlies is huge, but he's also had those highlight plays that have lit up social media. He's had so many uh, dunks that have just been like, oh my God, I can't believe he's only like 18 and 19 years old doing that in the NBA. Uh, I think that's really what sets that Anthony Edwards apart where LaMelo is – we, we've all known LaMelo for so long at this point. We all know how good he is. It was exciting to see him actually prove it at the NBA level this year. Uh, but I think Anthony Edwards was, for the most part, the most outstanding rookie. He did the most outstanding things. Uh, maybe didn't wasn't as big of a winner as LaMelo was, uh, but the fact that he played most of the games, the fact that, you know, Down the stretch in April, I think he's averaging like 21 points in April for now, which is just incredible from a rookie standpoint. Uh, Definitely going to be the future of the NBA and a very solid NBA rookie class this year. Uh, I think a little bit slept on once you got past like the three or four mark of this year's draft class, but uh, very, very solid. And I think uh, the future of the NBA is in Anthony Edwards and LaMelo Ball. Uh, one of those guys is going to be the future guard of this league. So uh, very exciting stuff. Uh, as the rookie of the year gets decided down the stretch and we will see uh, Lamelo could really help his case. If the Hornets end up getting into that play in tournament and making some noise, because as you know, the, the the voting is done at the end of the year and a lot of the times it's, what have you done for me lately? So if he, if he can put on a show in those last couple of games, then we will see if that shakes up the rookie of the year standings uh, near the end. Uh, our third topic of the day as baseball is getting into its second month. Uh, the, the baseballs are no longer juiced uh, according to the MLB. And as a result Three no-hitters already in the first six weeks of play. Joe Musgrove of the Padres, Carlos Rendon of the White Sox, John Means this week of the Orioles, not even counting the Madison Bumgarner seven-inning game or 7 no-header for the Diamondbacks. Uh, just a crazy amount of no-hitters. No perfect games, but all no-hitters thus far. Uh, Dylan, what has been your reaction to the pitcher's success this year and the uh, outstanding games in the MLB so far?
0: So um, I'm kind of blown away. Baseball continues to – I've been watching it since I was a little kid. First sport I ever got into uh, was baseball. It just amazes me how things change but they kind of stay the same because we go through – and everybody's like, "Well, hitting—that's the new wave. We're going to start putting up 13 runs a game, and offense. It's all about offense." And that seems like it was the talk the last couple of years, and now here we are, six weeks into the season, and we've got three no hitters, and uh, those no hitters—they're all really dangerously close to being perfect games. Like Musgrove, he hit a batter in the fourth inning, and that's the only reason he didn't have a perfect game. Radone hit up hitter, hit a batter. In the ninth inning with one out, that's how close he was to a perfect game. And then John Means had a wild pitch on the drop third strike, and that's how close he was to a perfect game. That is just insane to me Um, because perfect games don't happen very often. There's been 23 in the history of the MLB. Uh, King Felix Hernandez was the last one to throw one back in 2012. Um, I think – and I was kind of looking at trends, and back in 2012, which is when – uh, Felix threw his perfect game against Tampa, there were seven no hitters. So I'm kind of curious, maybe we're going to have that kind of season where we just get a ton of no hitters. Maybe we get to see a perfect game or two, because there were two back in, uh, back in 2012. So maybe we get to see just an awesome season of pitching. Cause I mean, we have seen some great offense so far, and we're kind of seeing that balance uh, of guys getting out there and just kind of playing catch with the catcher and having some fun. Uh, I, I, I think it's it's really interesting. There's been uh, it was an interesting stat I saw because I was I looked up and kind of did a lot of research about that King Felix uh, perfect game. There's been 30 no hitters since he threw that perfect game in 2011, uh, or excuse me, not 2011, 2012. Um, so I it just kind of shows how rare a perfect game is, and the the extension between a perfect game and no hitter. And I'm curious where the next perfect game is going to come from. Because so we've been so close this year, and I, I don't want to discredit these no hitters because they are incredible. But we've only seen 23 perfect games ever. Uh, John Means was the 308th person to throw a no hitter in the MLB. So I think uh, I think the wave I want to get on is uh, I want to, I want to see someone throw a, a perfect game this year. I think it's so rare. Uh, but yeah, I I just. It's it's a great thing about baseball. And it's one of these things that measures how great a player is. You get to say, yeah, that guy threw a no hitter in May. That guy threw a no hitter in April. And it's these things that stand out. And it's it's just one of the great things about baseball. Um what what are what are your initial thoughts about all the no hitters so far?
1: Yeah, it's been a wild, uh wild ride so far this year with the pitchers. Uh I, I agree with you that the baseball just seems to be sort of cyclical like that where you know, offenses, the, the wave, uh, for the past few years. And then all of a sudden these pitchers start coming out and dominating again. Uh, as a Tigers fan, i w- I I've been privy to watching a few no hitters, one very close, perfect game, basically a perfect game with Armando Galarraga. So I know the, the rarity of how it happens and, just kind of the interestingness of each individual no-hitter in perfect game. So obviously with like the Verlander no-hitters, uh, you're seeing a really dominant pitcher. And we saw that a few times with, you know, Means is the ace of the Orioles. Uh, you could kind of say Musgrove is the ace of the Padres. Uh, when those guys are on, those are the most fun pitching games to watch. When you see an ace actually come out and dominate a team and make – make them look silly is, uh, is very, very fun. And to your perfect games point uh, it's really tough to not have a perfect game when you did strike a batter out on that, on that John means one. So that, that that's gotta be tough to swallow. I'm sure he's very happy with his no hitter, but the tough one to swallow when you did get a strikeout and it just happens that's your only uh, base runner, but it also can be kind of random. You, you kind of catch a team in a bad spot with their uh, with their matchups, uh, in a rough spot, kind of in a slump, and, and that's sort of how these perfect games sort of happen. With the Armando Galarraga almost perfect game that he threw, uh, he didn't do much of anything after that, and it wasn't because he was a dominant pitcher. He had a great night, and it happened to fall on a night where the Indians were were playing very poorly. So. I think it's an interesting give and take with the no hitters and perfect games, because I think as fans, we have become accustomed to, all right, offense is the new way of baseball. We're all, we all want to see, you know, Fernando Tatis pimp a home run or, or, you know, bat flip as he goes down to first base. But uh, you know, as baseball purists, as we talked about with the other one, we also like to see these, these pitchers that can dominate a lineup. Uh, so it's interesting to see, uh, I am interested to see if more fans will start to tune in to, to see these perfect games and no hitters, because they're, they're excited to see the pitching or if it has the opposite effect, if more people are, you know, saying, oh, well the offense is down, maybe the taking the juice out of the balls is affecting the offense. And it's, it's less, that's a lesser than product. I, I don't think so. I'm, I'm, I'm of the case where if the pitchers are dominating, that's exciting. If the hitters are dominating, that's exciting to me too. But it, I can understand from a from a casual perspective, if you're not into the game of baseball, where you see these uh, these no hitters and perfect games happening, and you're like, "All right, what's going on with these hitters? You know, what, mm-hmm. where what's happening?"
0: I um I've been covering the Reds a lot lately, and last weekend they played the Cubs in a series where on Friday night. The two teams combined for about 15 runs, I believe, on Saturday. There were five total runs in the game, a little more of a pitcher's duel. Sunday, there were 25 combined runs, 30 hits, 10 home runs. Absolute offensive explosion. We all know the Reds' offense is great. And then the thing I loved, they turned around, they played the White Sox on, I believe it was Tuesday, and Dallas Keuchel pitched for the White Sox, Sonny Gray pitched for the Reds. Through seven innings, two hits for both teams. It's Both of them are great offenses. The White Sox have an incredible offense, Reds have an incredible offense, but you get a dominant pitch out there like Kaikul and Gray, and they just neutralize it. And it's awesome to see uh, just, I mean, those two offenses are both top five in the MLB, I believe they were at that point. And uh, the game ended one to nothing after 10 innings. And it just shows how great uh, pitching can just neutralize such a great offense
1: yeah and just saying those names with Sonny Gray and Dallas Keuchel it just reminds me that you throw that no-hitter and you immediately become one of those pitchers in the league Uh, and whenever you know the Tigers or whatever team you're following is facing one of those guys it becomes a must-watch event when you're like oh Dallas Keuchel's going against us I want to see that guy I know he threw a no-hitter or a perfect game back you know however long ago so that is something that those no-hitters do immortalize those pitchers. So I do I feel I feel good for those guys. I feel good for the the dudes that have done what they've done this year. And I'm excited to see the pitching uh in the rest of the MLB this year as we move forward. We're gonna move on to this week in sports, and we've got our special guest joining us here today. Our main man Keenan Atchinson is here to talk some fighting with us. Keenan, how are you doing today, man? I'm good. Thank you guys
2: for having me on. I appreciate it. It feels good to be here.
1: Absolutely. I appreciate you joining us today. And we are talking fighting with Keenan here today. We've got Canelo Alvarez in, a, in the main event this weekend with Saunders. Uh, you guys are more of the combat sports guys. So I'm <laughs> going to throw it to Keenan and Dylan to tackle this, uh, this fight coming up on the zone this weekend.
2: All right. So yeah, like uh Dylan alluded to this weekend, we got uh the best boxer pound for pound right now in Seoul, aka Canelo Alvarez. Um he's defending his WBA WBC and WBC as well as his um ring magazine title, which is generally given to the person that's considered the um the lineal or the man in that said division. So technically he's the man in that division and he's putting those on the line up against Billy Joe Saunders, uh, who is from the UK. And also he holds a title as well. He holds the WBO. Um, and this is at uh super middleweight, which is 168 um, pounds. So that fight's going to take place this weekend. Um, at, uh, Jerry's world, actually at AT&T stadium in front of fans. I think they have sold, They've sold it out. I want to say it's close to, it's between sixty five to 70,000 spectators they're expecting there. So, uh, you know, it's good to have boxing back and have boxing back on the scene in a major way and to be a part of, uh, you know, that, that type of crowd and atmosphere for a fight of this magnitude because, um, as I said before, Canelo is considered the star of the sport. Um, Cinco de Mayo is in the backdrop. It's in Texas. He's Mexican. What more could you ask for being down there in Dallas at Jerry's World, um, doing it big as usual? So um, I expect a a good fight. I'm leaning towards – I'm not leaning. I'm saying Canelo's going to win. It's going to be a decision. Uh, Billy Joe Saunders is a slick southpaw, uh, so he fights out of that uh, left-handed stance. He's a very good boxer, very skilled, excellent fighter but there's levels to this. We're talking Canelo. He is number one. As me and Steven alluded to, like in one of our old episodes, we call him the boss because he's just like the end boss of all the video games. He's that guy that you throw your controller at the TV about because you just can't beat him. So that's what Canelo is. He's the boss. Nuff said he'll be, uh, I think he'll be defending that title and this will be his third time fighting in the past six months. And I think he he's planning to fight three to four times out this year. So this is his uh, second fight this year. He last fought in February. That fight ended quickly. It was over in, I think, two or three rounds. Uh, so he's going on to fight Saunders and unified titles. And then after that, I think in September around Mexican independence time, they're probably going to set something up for him to fight uh, Kayla Plant, who is the IBF um, super middleweight champion and that will make it a uh, uh, undisputed um, title fight. So that's for all the major belts. So I'm looking forward to that, but not to get too far ahead. We're going to look forward to this weekend with him fighting um, Saunders, which should be a really good fight.
0: Definitely. I think it's going to be really exciting. Um, I've tried to get more and more into combat sports, like, kind of as I get older. Um, I got into UFC really big in, uh, like, college and high school. Uh, and like we talked about, uh, in the episode we did, the only boxing match I've ever bought was Floyd and Pacquiao. Uh, but I like seeing how like, uh, sports platforms are pushing boxing more now. It seems like we're hearing more about it now. Like I've, I've heard this fight being pushed, uh, for several weeks now. And I, I did a little research on my own, just trying to figure out what was going on, try to, try to see like, if I can form an opinion on this. And I, I think I have, um, I was blown away that uh, Saunders is thirty and oh. and uh, in those fights, he, half of those fights he's had knockouts, and that, I I think that's really impressive uh, for a guy. I, I wasn't aware of Saunders before this. Um, Canelo, I was. It's hard not to. He's he's the man, like you said. Um, and I think uh, I think a lot of people uh, might be writing off Saunders, kind of the way I've been reading. And from uh, things I've seen and watched, uh, they, it seems like people are writing him off. I don't know. I, I kind of, I think it'd be kind of cool if Saunders came in there with the upset. It seems like, it seems like uh is going to have the home field advantage going into Jerry world. Like you said um, in Dallas, I, I don't know. I think it'd be cool for kind of be like a Rocky moment. Rocky goes into Russia and he comes away uh, out of nowhere and gets the win. I don't know. I, I, It'd be cool, but it's hard to go against Canelo. I I really do. I think it's it's hard to go against Canelo. I think he's definitely the favorite. And it's I'm just excited to see a good fight. I think that's the best part about uh uh combat sports is just going, seeing a good fight and uh getting entertained.
2: I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Um it's uh it should be uh a, a excellent bout. Um Saunders is not a pushover at all. And a lot of times people write him off, I think because He's had fights before, and the fights ended up getting canceled. Um, he's blown weight before, so he's come in heavier than the contracted weight. Uh, so you know, Saunders has had his issues over the years. However, that doesn't take away from the fact that he's actually when um, when tasked, he's actually a really good boxer. Um, but sometimes he kind of he kind of plays to his opposition a little bit, um, where he should be, you know, much higher. He if it's a a guy that's not on par with them, he kinda goes down to his level and you know, boxes on that level instead of just, you know, showcasing and blowing everybody out. And then like you just said, uh, the last fight you bought was Floyd Pacquiao. Uh, I see we got coming up in June, um June sixth, uh Mayweather's back against uh Logan Paul. So uh yeah, and they had a big through ha ha there uh <laughs> for the uh you know putting on promoting the fight. So, uh, yeah, that I'm, I guess I'm looking forward to that, but I'm definitely looking forward to seeing Pacquiao. not Pacquiao looking forward to seeing Canelo and, um, Saunders fight this weekend.
1: Yeah. Very, uh, interesting, uh, dynamic with Mayweather, you know, the guy in boxing for so long doing kind of the sideshow fighting Logan Paul while Canelo is, you know, doing this thing, just beating everyone. Uh, you know he is the he is the the main event in terms of actual fighters right now. Where Floyd is, you know, still the the name that draws people. But you know, what I, I don't I don't I don't really know if I love what he's doing with Logan Paul right now.
2: <laughs> no, uh well, you know, it's uh it's a uh, it's Floyd Money Mayweather. So it's a uh, it's definitely it's definitely got to do with money. That's for certain. Yeah. Um, but but Dylan J. uh you know, I thought about you when I was talking about Canelo. I know you are big into baseball. So um as far as like baseball goes, Canelo is a 5-2 player. He can do it all. So that's that's kind of where he's at.
1: You love those 5 tool players. Yeah, he's the main event. Uh, I, I'm not a big fighting guy, but, you know, I know Canelo's name right off the bat. So those are the guys that boxing needs are the, the guys that, that draw the, draw the crowds and draw the attention to the sport, even from the people that, you know, not are necessarily into combat sports or fighting. So I think that's what Canelo does uh, very well, more than anything. Uh, but thank you, Keenan, for joining us today, talking boxing with us. I appreciate you joining on for our This Week in Sports topic. Uh, thank you so thanks. much for jumping on.
2: Hey, thanks for having me. You guys keep up the great work. Outstanding show. Y'all keep, uh, kicking behinds and taking names. All right. For sure. For sure. Thanks Keenan.
1: And as we wrap up, we're going to move on to this week in sports and recap what happened in the NHL this weekend or this week with the Rangers and Capitals. Big, uh, let's just say brouhaha in between the two teams Uh, starts off with a dirty play from uh, Wilson, Tom Wilson of the Caps. The Rangers aren't happy with the fine that is given to Tom Wilson. They thought should have been suspended, maybe kicked out of the league. Uh, Weren't happy with the fine. So they take measures into their own hands. Puck drops the next night, three fights break out simultaneously in the Rangers and Caps game uh just kind of a classic uh hockey moment when you look back on it and you go well hockey has sort of changed now there's a lot more rules the you know the overtimes are different there's a lot less fighting this was a classic hockey moment of guys policing themselves and doing you know just taking matters into their own hands dylan what was your reaction to the capitals rangers saga this week
0: so kind of like what i said with combat sports uh Hockey's a thing that, like, me growing up, I hockey was never in the forefront, especially being from West Kentucky. They're, the Predators are down in Nashville, but it never kind of, like, growing up anyways, it got it, – the Predators have become huge around here. But growing up, they weren't really in the same level as, like, the Titans or even the Cardinals up in St. Louis. Um, and the Blues are up in St. Louis as well, but it, it, the hockey just – it didn't reach us down here really. Um but when I got in college, met a lot of people from St. Louis and Nashville that absolutely loved it. Really got into hockey. Uh, and seeing what happened this week between the Capitals and Rangers, I feel like it, it's not the best situation because it, it's kind of ugly. But it's it feels like one of, just a very hockey thing, if that makes sense. Because um, it just when you read it out and you really break it down, it's just like that. That's hockey uh some of the stuff in the background isn't great and that's it might come down to politics or whatever but it when it's on the rink it's guys going out there showing that this is my team i'm going to stand up for what i believe in and it's hard to be against that It's, it's cool seeing guys take up for their teammates and showing uh showing what they uh that they care about the jersey they put on and the guys names on the back
1: right yeah so i'm in the same boat uh I probably should be more into hockey than I would. I, I was in hockey when I was young. Uh, Michigan's a big hockey sport or a hockey state. Uh, the red wings are really good when I were young, but as I got into sports and I got, I just started, of got, sort of got away from hockey, but this gave me big red wings avalanche vibes. Uh, the fights right off the bat, the going at, going at the other guys backing up your teammates, uh, identifying a dirty hit like that and seeing a league not do what you think you should, they should do for your guys. And then just taking it into your own hands. That's, that is the vibe that hockey gives that people love. It's the the vibe you can't get from any other sport. If this happened in a football game, basketball game, baseball game, uh, we'd be sitting here talking about how dirty these players were and how awful they were for doing what they did, but it's different because it's hockey and that's just the way they are. And they, are able to police themselves and able to, you know, get away with those things. And, you know, they have a penalty box waiting for when that happens. So I don't love the hit. Definitely think Tom Wilson's hit was a cheap shot and they need to do more. The NHL needs to do more for guys like that, because at the same time, what we love about hockey, uh, we also need the stars in the game. And if there's going to be guys that are just going to, you know, spike a dude's head into the ice, uh, you can't have that. The, you're going to get guys hurt. You need to. You need to be able to keep your players safe. But at the same time, I, I think the league's got to be hands off. I, I know they they gave the Rangers a two hundred fifty thousand dollar fine for the way that they handled it. The league needs to. If you're not going to handle the dirty plays on one side, you can't uh, get mad when the team takes it into their own hands on the other side. So uh, I was all for what the Rangers did. uh, And I think that's what makes hockey so interesting in its own, its own sport. That's what we need more of in hockey. And if we could get more of that uh, less of the dirty hits, more of the uh, the passion from, from the players. And I think you you can grow uh, a big, a big non-hockey viewer base from people that love that type of stuff.
0: Yeah. I think hockey is, uh, is the one sport in, uh the united states that's the most similar to like uh european soccer where it's just so passionate and it seems like uh the fans of teams and the teams themselves are just so in tune with with each other and they're almost thinking the same things and that they they feel the same way and it's really neat to see uh, and especially being an outsider without kind of a dog in the fight uh just being able to see how how passionate everyone is and how willing they are to kind of like metaphorically go to war for their people. It's just, it's just really neat. And it's what you love to see. You don't love to see uh, the dirty hit, as you said, but you love to see people taken up for their people.
1: Yep. Yep. Definitely a, a interesting moment from hockey this week as they are also wrapping up, looking forward to the playoffs another sport where I wish my Detroit team could be just a little bit better. Uh, but you know, that's just what it is being a Detroit fan. Yeah. Constant misery, but hopefully tonight root for my tigers tonight against the twins, uh, the second worst team in the AL central. So maybe we've got a shot tonight, uh, as we take on the twins at seven ten. anything you're looking forward to before we wrap up today?
0: Well, what I was going to say is, um, your Detroit Pistons came away with a win last night against my Memphis Grizzlies. I, I didn't expect that. I, uh, the Grizzlies were coming off that game Wednesday night against the Timberwolves where we talked about earlier, Anthony Edwards went crazy. And I was like, well, we're going into Detroit. Detroit's had a rough year. They, they didn't even have Jeremy Grant last night. And I was like, Hey, maybe go into Detroit, get a win. And then can focus on Toronto Saturday, get into this playoff push. And Corey Joseph, Wayne Ellington, Sekou, and uh Isaiah Stewart all just had great games and kind of – I think they caught the Grizzlies off guard. The Grizzlies came in, didn't expect uh, much fight out of the Pistons, and Dwayne Casey had them ready to play. I, I was impressed. Uh they, they did good things last night.
1: Yeah, I – it's tough to say you like where the Pistons are at, <laughs> but, like – there are pieces there. When uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm sure you, you saw, if you watched that game, there w- even without Jeremy Grant, there are pieces there for what could be a, a fun, exciting team moving forward. Uh, the problem is, is just uh, you know, they're still like three or four stars probably away from making a an actual championship run. But you know. You can hope You can hope something happens in the draft this year. I don't like that they're winning, honestly, because that just hurts their lottery chances. But, yeah. you know, it does that, show some promise for the future.
0: That game last night kind of hurt both of our teams. <laughs> hurt, the, hurt the Pistons' uh, lottery odds. Hurt the Grizzlies' playoff standings. That's just, what a night.
1: <laughs> that's just what the Pistons do. They just like ruining it for everyone. <laughs> All right. It was a pleasure talking to you this week, Dylan. Uh, looking forward to next week as well. As we wrap up today, reminder, you can find us on social media, on Instagram and Twitter at underscore TV sports on Facebook and LinkedIn at tunnel vision sports and on the web at www.tvsportsmag.com. This has been the TV sports radio show Dylan and Dylan duo signing off. Have a good weekend, everyone. And we will see you next week. See ya.